Welcome to the Negotiations Ninja Podcast, where we develop and deliver the most engaging negotiation content and training in the world. We host negotiation experts, business people, and entrepreneurs, and discuss what works, what doesn't work, and how we can improve our negotiation skills. Fantastic throwback episode here on Negotiations Ninja with Morgan Ingram. We talk all about sales development and sales development representatives. We talk about Morgan's 11-touch campaign strategy, what procurement people should know about SDRs, two pieces of advice about sales and negotiations that will change the way that you approach your negotiations. Really fantastic conversation with Morgan Ingram. Morgan, you're here. Finally, welcome. Super excited to be here. I'm pumped to have you on, man. It's going to be a great show today. I mean, the vast majority of our listeners are all procurement people. And when it comes to trying to figure out the things that are going on in the sales world, we're like the blind leading the blind, man. It's tough for us because we don't understand (laughs) what you guys do. No one knows what the heck an SDR is. Anyway, (laughs) before we get into that conversation. Maybe you could give the listeners a bit of background as to who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So born and raised Atlanta, Georgia. So for those of you guys that have ever been to Atlanta or at least from here, you know that most people leave Atlanta. So I'm one of the very few people that have actually stayed here. And I started off in sales as everybody else, not wanting to be in sales. I actually wanted to be a sports agent. Show me the money. Yeah, you guys seen that movie. So uh, that's where I wanted to start out. And you know, I was going through college, a finance and sports management degree, looking to get into sports agency. And they told me how to go to law school. And I was like, absolutely not. It's not happening. Too much money. <laughs> it's a lot of money, man. <laughs> Dude, it's no joke. A lot of money. And you look at like the effective hourly wage of lawyers, especially if you're living the firm life. It sucks. dude. It's not fun, man. And they were like, yeah, you may make it like one to 3%. I was like, I don't like those percentages. I took finance and that doesn't sound good. So from there, I decided I, I got to figure it out. So I went to a local event here in Atlanta. And one of the people told me, hey, you should go reach out to a local startup here. They just got funding, 5 million in funding. I was like, oh, that sounds great. So I found the number to call the VP of sales and I cold called her and it was terrible. Mark, it was awful. It was, it was, I wish I still had it. It was so bad, but because I did the outreach and I made the call, they're like, come in. So I had a conversation with them. I got hired as an SDR. And so what an SDR is, it's a sales development rep. And your focus is to cold call email, social sell into accounts and schedule pipeline meetings for the closers, which were called account executives or sellers. Right. And so your whole job is to build pipeline. That is all you do is prospect. And so it was one of the hardest jobs that I ever did because even though you schedule meetings and even though you do a really good job, you have to do that over and over again without much praise, without much celebration. And so I did that role for a while. I struggled and throughout some conversations with my mentor and conversations with my executives, I saw the light bulb that I wasn't giving the role hundred percent and I wasn't doing the things I needed to be doing because I was going through the motions. Interesting. And so from there, I decided I was giving about 75% because I talked to my VP about this and I needed to go hundred percent. And so the shift for me was getting things way more laid out. So what I did is I was like, all right, cool. I want to go ahead 
and drill into time management. I want to drill into cold calling skills. I want to drill into emailing. So those are things that I got better at. And because of that, I saw success. And from that success, I started something called the SDR Chronicles, which is a documentation of my journey as a sales development rep and obstacles and challenges and success that I was seeing in that role. And from there, I grew my brain on LinkedIn and got promoted to an SCR manager. So I had like 13 reps during that time. And then from that promotion, that then led me into creating more content, which then I got founded by John Barrows, who does sales training for B2B sales companies like Salesforce, Box, and Dropbox. He found me on YouTube. We had a conversation. And from that conversation, we continuously talked and realized we need to work together and figure out how to continuously elevate the game of sales from a prospecting perspective and from a sales perspective. And so for the past two and a half, almost three years now, I've been doing sales training based on prospecting for the SDR BDRs that I just described for you. And then also for AEs and full sales cycle reps as well. So that is what I train on on a daily basis and also full sales cycle doing my own sales cycles as well, but still teaching people how to prospect because I'm still doing it on a daily basis. And that's my background and that's what I'm all about. Epic. I think when a lot of procurement people hear like SDR and BDR and account executive, they're like, wait, 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 wait. You mean there isn't just one sales rep that I'm going to be working with? Like, what's the deal <laughs> with all of that? And so we like we talk about pipeline building and all that kind of stuff. I think it would be super interesting for the people that are listening to know, you know, when you have to make that cold open as an SDR, where you you're going to be cold calling someone or a cold email or whatever it might be. What is the most important thing that you have to do as an SDR for planning for that? I think it comes down to what type of segmentation accounts you're calling. That's first and foremost. Okay. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you're calling a enterprise account, you're going to have to do more research. But if you're targeting SMB, you're very transactional. You just need to know what your intro is. Yeah. So ultimately, it comes down to two things. One is... If you're doing SMB by market and you're transactional, you want to figure out what's your pattern erupt. And I'll talk about what that is in a minute. And then the second piece is if you're doing enterprise or something very strategic, you need to do your research. And I'll explain that in just a minute as well. So let's go back to the beginning. You want to create some type of pattern erupt. So I'll give you guys a pattern erupt right off the gate. If you're in sales and you're like, hey, Morgan, I want a good intro to start a good conversations and that leads to value. So one of those is, Hi, Sally. Thanks for taking my call. Do you have a few moments to chat? Now, let's break down why this works. So first and foremost, if anyone gets a cold call, Mark, I know you probably get cold calls. If someone says, thanks for taking my call out of the blue, that immediately creates a pattern erupt and you're not prepared for it. Right. You'd be like, okay, I don't know what this is about, but I'm intrigued because no one's ever thanked me for picking up the phone. Right. Then the next piece is, do you have a few moments to chat? And so what I'm doing here is I'm creating an upfront contract right at the beginning of the cold call for, and you have to make a decision. Now, what most people are saying here is you're thinking about it. You're like, well, Morgan, you're giving them an out. I'm not. And this is why I'm not. Because as you noticed, when I went through my intro, I never introduced my name at all. Right. And so if we dive deeper into that based on psychology, if I say something to you that you're not familiar with, and I don't state my name, you're automatically going to become curious. And now the state of curiosity is going to come into play. Interesting. And now what people naturally will say is, who are you? 
And when they say, who are you? They have now opened the door for you then to go into pitch. Hey, this is Morgan from JBL Sales Training. The reason for my call is. And now because of that, you will now have a more fluid and confident pitch because they won't interrupt you throughout that process. So that's first and foremost, right? That's how you get a really good conversation going on a cold call. If it's in Jacksonal, if you're high volume, you can run with that all day long. And the reason you call it pattern interrupt is because you literally want to interrupt their daily pattern so that they're forced to listen to you. Yeah. All right. Let's let, let's role play right now. Right. Let's let's say if I call, I'm gonna call you with this intro and tell me immediately what you think when I do this. Hi, Mark. This is Morgan Ingram from JBL Sales Training. How are you doing today? I'm okay, Morgan. What can I help you with? What just happened? You just got super defensive. Right. You're like, this is sales call. I'm going to think of an excuse immediately so I can get off the phone and move out throughout my day. 100%. Right? So you guys just heard that. You can change the tone immediately while we did that call. So my thing is, why would I do what everyone else is doing? That doesn't make sense because everyone's going to be prepared for me to pitch them. And if my pitch is good, cool. But most often not, that's going to be a struggle. Now, I'm not knocking the how you're doing today. Some people do a really good job with it because their tone is good. Right. But for most people, you're going through the motions when you do that which leads to people being defensive, which leads for you not to get a pitch off. Interesting. Okay. So that's the first piece, right? Now, the second piece is you got to do some research. Now, again, it's going to be different for everyone. The places you can find this information is website, LinkedIn. If you're reaching out to an enterprise company, the 10K report, right? Yeah. So these are places you could go to get info. Now, if you're enterprise, the 10K report has everything. Where you want to look at is the manager's comments, and suggestions because they literally tell you this is what we need to work on. So you can literally go in the 10K and find the information that's right there. Right. So, right, that's a tip if you're not looking at the 10K reports. Quarterly earnings, they have those as well. You can go look at that to go prospect. But you want to show that you've done some research. Hey, I noticed in your 10K report that you are looking to sell a new product and our training helps reps prospect with new products and give a messaging that leads to more results. So if you're open to hearing how we do that with other clients, be happy to chat with you. Wow. That you've done your research. You've shown that you have taken a deep dive in my organization and my business, and I'm willing to have a conversation with you. So those are the two ways to start off a cold call strong, because what I've seen in making cold calls myself, training other reps, managing a team, you win or lose the cold call in five to seven seconds. And that's the key. Creating that good first impression. That's it. Yeah. And getting them curious so that they want to continue the conversation. Absolutely. Amazing. Given your extensive experience and now you've, this is what you train people on, people get hung up on cold calling and the SDR work in general as like a, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Everything is you know relying on me. I have to build the pipeline. <laughs> if I f*** this up, the company's going to go under. I'm going to kill myself. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay, maybe I just pushed it too far. But no, you know, you know what I'm saying though, right? Like people get really caught up about the craziness that's involved in being responsible for building that pipeline. And it seems like a super, super stressful job. What advice would you give to people that have to do this SDR work, this cold calling, this cold emailing? I think there's a couple of things we can touch on. I think first and foremost, cold calling. I think where people get caught up in, oh man, this person's going to hang up on me. Like you said, there's a lot of adversity with it. You're anxious. But I want everyone to really think about what they're doing when you're cold calling. You're cold calling someone out the blue. Yeah. And that person doesn't know you. Right. So 
in that, I want you all to think about the worst case scenario when you're doing cold calls. The worst case scenario that happens is they hang up. Right. They're not going to come to your house. <laughs> they're not going to come to your, they're not going to come to your office. Right. As long as you don't like curse them out or something like that, then that's on you. I didn't tell you to do that. But the thing is, is that like, as long as you don't do those things, the worst case scenario is, Hey, I'm not interested. And they hang up. That's it. And guess what? You can call that person three, four weeks later and they won't even remember who you are. So, I mean, the best case scenario sounds really great. The worst case scenario isn't really that bad. Getting hung up on, once you get hung up on a couple of times, it is what it is. And you just got to, you got to make light of it. And one thing that we did as a team is we created something called the bulldoze. And essentially you would get a bulldoze award if you got hung up on the loudest. And we would give you the, we would give you the bulldozer for a week. So anytime anyone got hung up on, we would always laugh about it because we know you would win the award. So we made fun of it to keep people engaged and involved, right? So make it fun. That's the next piece though, is make it fun. A lot of people make this very monotonous. You do 50 calls, 30 emails every single day. That's not fun. You got to think about how can I keep it different? Is it a video? Is it maybe I'm going to take an infographic? Maybe, I don't know, I've seen people make videos and do songs. I mean, I'm not saying go that far, but make it fun. Like, what do you want to do that's creative? Talk to your team, talk to your manager, and they should be able to help you facilitate that. And I'll give another piece of advice is, I say this in every training that I do, is that if you can master prospecting, then you can do anything you want in your life moving forward. The hardest thing in sales at year after year after year is prospecting. Everyone says it's the hardest thing for them to do. And additionally, if you're looking to start a business, if you're looking to get a new job, if you can prospect, you will always be good because it's hard for people to do it. And so my sense when I was in this role is if I can master the skill of prospecting, then I can put myself in a better position than most. Yeah. And then ultimately at the end of the day, I would say the last piece of advice here for people that are listening and you're grinding and you're prospecting every single day is know that everything that you learn in the role will help you moving forward. And I, and I just mentioned, Hey, prospecting, but I'm talking about everything. This is important because I'm expanding it. Mindset, your mindset as a whole, any role that you move into that mindset will help you because you're going into the job knowing that you're going to get rejected. Yes. <laughs> like there's no other job that I know is like, Hey, so you're going to come in, we're going to pay you, but you're getting rejected today. Right. There's not a lot of jobs like that. And so that would be the piece of advice that I have. Mark, I'd like to hear what your advice would be, you know, for people that are listening as well. Hey folks, we're going to take a short break from this podcast to tell you all about the negotiation training that we offer at Negotiations Ninja. If you're part of a sales team, if you're part of a procurement team, if you're part of a customer service team, really, if you're part of any customer or internal facing organization where communication sometimes fails, we probably have training that's going to help you. If you're trying to figure out how to deal with conflict better, if you're trying to figure out how to get more value out of your negotiations, if you're trying to figure out how to deal with price increases, give me a call. The easiest way to be able to do that is to go straight to our website at negotiations.ninja. That's negotiations.ninja. Or reach out to me directly on LinkedIn and let's set up a conversation. Would love to chat with you all about that. Let's get back to the show. 
Man, when it comes to prospecting, I mean, especially for my business, it's a, yeah, it's the only reason that my business is alive today is because I've taken a very focused effort on prospecting. This is different for a lot of the people that are listening because like procurement people are really focused on making a great deal. They don't necessarily understand what happens prior to that deal even being talked about by the time it gets to them, right? So the prospecting and the work that goes into creating the business, because you're literally creating deals and creating money, is so, so, so important. I, I read a, a fantastic book by Jeb Blunt called High Profit Prospecting. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant work. But you know what? The one thing I, I get concerned about is how much is too much when it comes to like calling back the same prospects after they've given you a hard no? Like, At what point do you decide, okay, that person's a no-go, we're not going to call back? I've heard some sales trainers, some very popular sales trainers say things like, if my sales reps don't have a restraining order against them, then... um, (laughs) Right. I mean, we both know who I'm talking about, which I think is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So at what point do you decide enough is enough? Where do you draw the line? On average, it takes 11 so touches to get in front of somebody nowadays. So I say you're probably going to run into an 11 to 15 touch campaign. Right. And when you say touch, what does that mean? Touch means a phone call, a voicemail, an email, a social touch. Right. So once you've run that campaign and you're having a response, you should wait three to four months to reach out again. And the reason I'm saying that is because each quarter, the priorities and challenges change. So if you reach out again in three to four months, let's say four months, you know that the priorities and challenge have changed for that person. And now you can adjust accordingly to however you need to adjust to. Right. So that would be my, my feedback there is you don't want to blow the person up, run them through your campaign. If they don't respond, make a note for three to four months later, see if anything's changed and then have different messaging to reach out to them with. Is the frequency of the touches here important? Like what's the delta between the touches? Do you do week at a time? Do you do every couple of days? Like at what point is the frequency too much? Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to see this differently. I'll tell you what mine is. And then I know some people are like, well, that might be too aggressive. It might be too light. You know, it is what it is. Everyone's different. So how I want you to see it is I am very aggressive in the beginning and then I elongate throughout there. Right. So my first touch is a LinkedIn touch. My buyers live on LinkedIn, so that's what I'm doing. Some people on here, your buyers might not leave on LinkedIn. So maybe this might be another step for you. I'm just telling you, hey, this is what I've done. This is what other people have done. You can adjust accordingly, right? So first and foremost, LinkedIn touch, that's a connection in their network. So personalized invitation note. Then the next step that I'm taking is an email. Next step I'm taking after that is a call that's a leave the voicemail to then another email. Now, The steps go, so I'll reiterate that because this is important. First day, I'm sending a LinkedIn connection request. Second day, I'm doing an email. Third day, I'm doing a call. The same day after the call, I'm sending an email. So I'm doing four steps in three days. That email is tagged to the first email and it's on the same thread. So those are the four, four steps, which are the most critical. I just want to review. So first is a LinkedIn connection, right? You send a note on LinkedIn. Second is an email. Third is a call. And then on the same day that you make the call, you follow up with another email. 
Yep. And that's in the same thread. And in that email for context, that's just information. It's a give get, but the first email is a call to action. So I'm getting them back to the first call to action. Yeah. So like just variation on a drip campaign or something. Yep. Love it. Awesome. Then the next piece is day five is a call. That's not a voicemail. Day seven is a call. That is a voicemail. Day 10 is another email. This email is not in the same thread. So this is a new one. Then day 12 is a call. Day 15 is an email. Day 18 is a call. Day 20 is an email. So if you sum that all up, it's five calls, five emails, one social touch. There can be an additional social touches depending on if they accept the connection request. But normally this is an 11 touch campaign. And that's how I normally go about it. And that's how clients normally do it. I love that you found the stats on the amount of touches that are required to get to the point where you could have the conversation and then just said, okay, I know it's statistically, it's going to take me 11 times to get in front of this person to actually have a conversation. So I'm just going to apply that 11 times to my campaign. And if it works out to be less, awesome. But I know that statistically 11 times is going to work. So let's just apply the logic. Exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah, really, really cool, man. People listening right now are all procurement people. And to them, you represent the dark side. So what do you, what do you wish, what do you wish procurement people knew about you and about salespeople? Man, I, I need to have a conversation with procurement. I, I got some questions for y'all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Interview number two coming up. <laughs> yeah, we have a battle sales versus procurement, man. I, don't, I, I got some questions. All right. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I graduated finance. So I get it. So I think it's interesting, right? Because how I see it is sales is we're coming in to solve a problem, but obviously in order to solve that problem, we have to get money. Yeah. And procurement's job is we need to save the company money and do it in the most effective and efficient way possible. Right. So obviously that's heavily conflicting on both sides. So at the end of the day, what I would say to procurement is thinking about sales because sales, first of all, has a bad connotation based on movies that you've seen, based on people that are out there has a bad connotation. Yeah. You guys, you guys come with baggage for sure. Yeah. So that's obviously not helpful. So really, I would just say at the end of the day for procurement, you think about us as problem solvers. And the reason that we are, someone says, pushy or maybe aggressive to a certain degree, I think everyone has their style. But I think the reason that you're more direct is because through our discovery and intently listening, we're able to find this is a problem that needs to be solved. And we have the solution. So as an end result, there's going to be some type of cost there, right? It's like, you don't just go to the dentist and they're like, yeah, it's free. Like there's a reason why they go through schooling, doctors and everything of that nature. So I really would say at the end of the day, it's knowing that, hey, this money that's being spent is to solve a problem. And again, the people that we have discussed it with, they see that problem. Now it's just making, hey, let's make sure that the dollar is obviously right and budget is accordingly, which obviously procurement is there for. But I would just say the big thing is to see us more as problem solvers at the end of the day, not people that are, again, like what most people think about is used car salesmen. What is the impression that you have of procurement people? Honestly, don't sugarcoat it for the audience. <laughs> so this, this is my thing. When I think of procurement people, I think it gets to their desk or whatever it is, right? And they look at it and they're like, all right, how can I cut this down and make this efficient 
and make sure that we can save the most money as possible. And then sometimes, to be completely honest, I feel like it takes a long time sometimes to get things signed. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, it's been two or three weeks and we haven't heard anything back. Like, yep, nope, it's still in oh, Two to three weeks is fast, dude. I know. I know some places. That's like lightning pace. I know. No, no. Some, yeah, some, I'm talking about like maybe smaller organizations, right? So that's like what, let's say S&B even market. Some places, obviously with bigger deals, it may be way, way longer, right? I'm speaking on my experience. And then SaaS, right? Because it's like 30, 45 sales cycle yeah. days and it takes you two, three weeks. And it's like, what's going on? I'm also thinking about like some people I know, it takes them months, years to get things signed and they've been in computer forever. So my thought process is, yeah, I just see more so procurement as like the stopper of uh, of getting things done. But I know that's not the case. I know, I know there's things I don't know. Just like you guys, I think we come with a lot of really baggage as well. And I think your characterization is true for a lot of companies, unfortunately. But I would say that collectively and culturally as a whole, procurement's come a long way, especially in the last five to seven years. Yeah. Where we know that our value is, you know, historically been tied to cost reduction, right? We're trying to reduce cost for the the business, but at a certain point, that becomes a series of diminishing returns. And I think, especially in the last, you know, five to seven years, maybe even ten years, we've taken a much more strategic look at how we can be more internal consultants than anything else on strategy of how to purchase something and why to purchase something versus just driving down cost. This is always interesting whenever I have conversations like this, because whenever I chat with a salesperson and that salesperson chats with me, we're both, we're both coming in with like ideas of what procurement is or sales is. And I think it's only through these types of conversations do we realize, holy shit, there's actually a decent human being on the other end of this conversation and they need to be treated as such. And that's, that's, I think, is the most important thing that we can get out of these types of conversations is, look, the person who's trying to sell you something is selling you a solution that they believe is going to solve a problem and they genuinely and passionately believe that. So don't be a dick. And then on the sales side, the procurement person is literally just trying to do their job to reduce risk for the business and reduce the cost for the business. That's literally their job. And so we come into this, I think just naturally, we come into this like antagonistic view of each other and and we sort of bitch and moan about each other behind each other's backs. And <laughs> especially like I've had a couple of conversations with John about it. These are the type of conversations that I think need to happen more often because we realize very quickly, if we actually had a normal human conversation, we could come to solutions way quicker. I agree. I, I What I've seen across the board is I feel like sometimes that whether it's the person themselves or in talking to someone else, people have to realize that, hey, procurement is what you do. Sales is what I do. It's not who I am. And so if you run to somebody at an event and you hear they're in procurement, you obviously have these ideals about them. And it's not fair because that's that's just what they do. Right. And so I feel like we take a huge miss on that because we put people in the buckets of, oh, well, I heard pe- these people are like this and these people are like that. Instead of having an open mind and conversation, which again, to your point, is a human level thing that I feel like sometimes we just completely miss. Yeah. 
Totally agree with you, man. Listen, as we close off for the listeners, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to the listeners about sales and negotiation in general? I got two things because I think that there's a couple things there. I would say one is take the time to do things outside of what you're asked to do. And what I mean by that is the small things that people don't think about, but that are massive. What's your morning routine? Are you just hopping right into work? Are you just hopping right into it? Are you taking time to really reflect on what's going on? Are you taking the time to really be like, am I in the right headspace? Am I calm? Like Those things come across to the client and the people you're talking to and in negotiations. If you don't have a composure and you're not confident, that's going to throw you off. And additionally, what you also should be focused on is what are you reading to get yourself better at negotiation? We just talked about being human. I think a lot of people don't take the time to read psychology or listen to podcasts that revolve around psychology. So really take the time to figure that out and drill deeper into it. That will help you be better across the board. So I think that's, that's first and foremost is like, take the time to do outside of the stuff that people normally tell you to do. I don't think there's anything on here that I tell a lot of people on here that would be like, Oh, that's insightful. Or like, that's crazy. Like you guys probably know it. But I think the one thing that people don't pay attention enough to is what are they doing outside of what they're asked to do? Yeah. That's big. There's a fantastic quote that Jim Rohn used to say in all of his sales trainings. He said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I think that's, I mean, it's very similar to what you said. And I think that that message that you gave is so key because so often I think we get caught up in trying to separate who we are at work and and who we are in general. And I think personally, it needs to be one person, right? I mean, if you're striving for excellence at your job, you need to be striving for excellence in other areas that will also then build up on your job. So if you've got a certain morning routine, that morning routine is going to make you a better salesperson. It's going to make you a better procurement person because it just sets up your day the right way so that you can consistently hit it out of the park every single time. Like Tiger Woods, for example, right? Tiger Woods approaches the ball on the tee the same way every single time. There's a reason for that because he's got that habit built in. And if he doesn't approach it the same way every time, you know, it's not going to go well. No. And so you're just improving the probability of success. Absolutely. Amazing, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really, really appreciate you being on. Is there anywhere online that the listeners can find you and your work and all the stuff that you did with SDR Chronicles and that you're now doing with Barrows? Yeah. So really there's three main places, jbarrows.com. Check us out, see what we're doing. Also follow up the SDR Chronicles YouTube and podcast. So just type in the SDR Chronicles, super simple to find. And then also on LinkedIn is where the, I'm the most responsive. And that's just Morgan J. Ingram. And you can shoot me a message if you have any more questions about what we talked about today. Amazing. For the listeners, just so that you know, I will link out to all of Morgan's social stuff as well as to the podcast and the YouTube stuff and everything as well. I highly recommend that you check out the SDR Chronicles. It's really, really, really good. Also recommend that you check out the work of John Barrows and that whole company. These guys are doing amazing things. Uh, Again, Morgan, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with friends and colleagues so that they can benefit from it as well. If you find Negotiations Ninja podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate every single one that we get because it helps us to understand 
who is listening, how they're listening, and what it is they like. If there's something that you would like me to discuss around negotiation, influence, or persuasion, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media, or you can get me on my website, which is www.negotiations.ninja. Thank you.